Welcome to Hybrid IT and Government Panel Discussion, sponsored by QTS. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Sanjay Gupta, the Chief Technology Officer for the Small Business Administration, Ben Bergenson, the Chief Information Officer for the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, and Tim Burke, a Federal Cloud Product Manager for QTS. Gentlemen, welcome to the program today. Before we get started, let me set a little context for our discussion. For its federal IT strategy, the Trump administration is continuing the emphasis on the use of cloud computing as established under the previous administration. But cloud is a moving target for agencies. The number of cloud service providers who have received approval under the Federal Risk Authorization and Management or FedRAMP program is growing. 86 so far have received approval, another 69 are in the process. And FedRAMP itself has evolved to accommodate a wider range of security requirements, including establishing a FISMA high baseline. Now, at the same time, agencies are expanding the types of workloads they feel confident in moving to the cloud. They're rationalizing, modernizing applications in an effort to move off legacy IT systems, and that continues to gain momentum. In fact, IDC Government Insights predicts spending on cloud services will increase to $3.3 billion by 2021 in the federal market. That's up from $2.2 billion in 2017. IDC also expects hybrid cloud services to grow by 11% over the next five years. That's the second largest by percentage category behind the move to public cloud services. Now with all this activity, agencies are trying to understand what makes the most sense for their mission needs. The General Services Administration's Best Practices Guide for Hybrid Cloud highlighted several considerations as agencies implemented those, these services. GSA says integration of multiple cloud environments, composition, which provides the flexibility of the hybrid cloud model, and organizational impact, which helps agencies decide the type of system or data that makes the most sense, are definitely key ingredients to a successful cloud approach. Now, at the same time, agencies also not be, not be able to give up all of their on-premise data center storage and processing power. Now, this is creating what some are calling a dual setup called hybrid IT. This concept brings together public and private sector expertise and cloud services while potentially saving agencies money and improving their effectiveness. So how do agencies find success and prosper in this new hybrid IT model? Well, that's where our guests come in. And once again, our guests today are Sanjay Gupta, the Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration, Benjamin Bergenson, the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, and Tim Burke, a Federal Cloud Product Manager for QTS. Ben, let me just turn to you and start with the discussion with you. Cloud computing, workloads, where are you guys at with the cloud? How are you moving toward this, what, what some are calling this hybrid IT model in some ways? At the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, for several years we've already had our financial systems and our HR systems, as well as time cards and payroll in the cloud. We are now moving, so we've had for over a decade the same building and office space. Our entire federal agency is moving to another location. So that's a great opportunity to take a look at everything from end to end to see what is the best service that we can provide to our agency, to our exports and reverse trade missions, and as well as our movers that are mobile and they are deployed globally in different continents and areas. So we're looking at all our services and saying, what else can we move? We just recently moved email services as well as a personal network drive, so that be your P drive or your H drive, whatever you call it, and that helps because when you're moving, there's a lot of changes. The new facility is being built, the old facility is being renovated for the new tenant, and it doesn't matter when everything is in the cloud, the mission just keeps going on smoothly. And the next step that we're going to be doing is moving our collaboration portal to the cloud as well as our network shares. So we might even get rid of our network shares and put them into a collaboration portal. So that's a, a new change. The cool thing is I'm sitting back and listening to the different mission operators, the country managers, and seeing what they want. And in one of our last strategic meetings, one of the directors of a division said, so where do you want all of this information that we did to analyze where we should go? And the group said, we want it online. <laughs> I'm like, yay. <laughs> I, I am so happy because I don't have to be the one pushing. I'm just 
seeing that the the customer base and the agency wants it and that's how you work behind the scenes to get your organization to where they need to be and you end up saving a lot of money moving to the cloud as well as being a lot nimbler if you're going to grow an office and you need to add 20 people for a month and then the month afterwards you need to shrink it because your reverse trade mission is done for that country or that city. And you can do that in the cloud at any time. The last thing is there's a baseline of cybersecurity. You know what you're getting when you go with FedRAMP low and medium and high and you can feel confident that you're going to get certain things and not have to worry about okay is this additional security or is this less so with savings and being nimble and baselines it's the way to go all right so a couple of things to pull from there uh, first of all the the security discussion will happen later in the program so I'm going to hold off on that but let me just uh, clarify a couple of things um, your HR your your financial management time cards payroll that's in the cloud is that shared services cloud yes okay so it's, this is not uh, internal cloud yes so we do not have an internal cloud. We have federal shared services from other federal agencies. We also have commercial cloud providers for different areas. So we are already a hybrid environment. We've got some locally. We've got that HR, admin, and finance from a shared service federal agency. We have our email and personal drives from a commercial provider. We have our website from another commercial provider. So it's integrating three or four federal agencies, two or three commercial industry cloud providers plus our local environment and wanting to get a holistic view of what are the best services to provide to the mission and what makes sense because we're in all of those areas. All right, that's why it keeps you busy and keeps you plenty to do. Uh, let me move over to Sanjay from SBA. Now, SBA is uh, also recently moving a lot into the cloud. Give us an update where SBA is at. Sure, so uh, let me just kind of give you a quick background. So Maria Roth, who's our CIO, she started in October of last year. Uh, the first week she was in here, I was not here. I started in January of this year, so I do not know. That's what I've heard from her. So the data center in our HQ uh, office was having all kinds of environmental problems in terms of uh, the temperatures being in the 110, 120 degrees range, water being in the data center, uh, and a whole slew of issues in terms of performance, stability, et cetera. So she had made a very quick decision back then to say that we're not going to be living in this environment for too long. And she had made a, uh, a note saying that we'll be down to four racks in the next foreseeable 12 months or so. Uh, so let's fast forward, we kicked off our project for the cloud initiative at SBA in, in February of this year. Uh, and, and in 82 days, we have uh, accomplished uh, several things in that. First off, we have had the architecture design implementation completed, as well as the ATO completed in 82 calendar days. If somebody's counting, we did actually that in 57 working days. <laughs> um, number two, uh, we had no new net funding available for this project. So when Maria came on board at SBA, the budgets for fiscal 17 were already decided, uh, so there was no cloud funding available. So then the question becomes, how do you fund this initiative when you already have the keep the lights on operation going on? So I'll talk a little bit later on, on how we funded it, but in essence, we have been looking at all of our contracts, and we've been right-sizing all our contracts, and there are multiple dimensions to right-sizing. So namely, uh, we have, let's say, a large number of users. We have licensed for a product, you know, whatever that product is. And we're seeing that the use for in the agency is for a much lo lower number. So we've been right-sizing that. We have complementary and supplementary pro uh, products in our portfolio, and we're looking at those and saying, how can we rationalize the portfolio and have some cost savings? So put differently, we've used those techniques to generate the funds to fund our SBA cloud initiative. Further, the funding came from using resources like Microsoft licensing. And again, uh, our deputy CIO Guy Cavallo, he comes from Microsoft, he understands Microsoft enterprise licensing inside out. So namely what we did is we have credits for training, we have support contracts built into that as benefits, we converted some of those to fund our cloud initiative. So all in all, we use the funding from existing contracts, repurposing that funding to fund our cloud initiative. Number three, uh, we are the first agency that we are aware of to implement CDM in the cloud. If some of you are familiar with continuous diagnostics and monitoring from DHS uh, is an initiative, it's a good initiative, uh, however it has been designed from an on-premise implementation. One of the things uh, being a cloud first strategy that Maria had adopted when she came on board here was the fact that we are not going to buy any more hardware for this data center environment. 
So guess what? Uh, lo and behold, we started having this dialogue with DHS about the CDM implementation, and so we are the first agency to implement CDM in the cloud. Uh, so those are some of the highlights from a cloud standpoint that we have uh, underway here. From In terms of workloads, we are all into the cloud. So this is not a question about are we moving some workloads or are we looking at other workloads. Uh, one of the things that we inherited, including Maria, was uh, we had transitioned our mail system to the cloud back in May of uh, 2016. Uh, but only mail was turned on from the Office 365 suite. So we worked on uh, adding more functionality from Office 365 to turn on for, for a user community. So, so there's a lot about our, our cloud story, and I also want to talk about the fact that we are using a multi-crowd approach. Namely, we are in Azure, we are in AWS, and also in Salesforce. So we, we understand that we'll not be, uh, we, we've designed our architecture which is cloud agnostic or cloud provider agnostic, so it helps us uh, be able to use those fundamental design principles and architecture across the board from AWS or Azure standpoint. And I'll be happy to talk a little bit more about it later on. All right, so there's plenty to pull from that. One quick follow-up. Uh, you said you started 82 days, you have architecture, you have design, you have an ATO completed. Is there, so where do you go from there? Is it, is it starting to move the applications and yes, systems? Yes, absolutely. So, so yes, uh, good point. We have, as I speak today, 40 plus VMs already spun up in our, in our Azure environment. Uh, we're targeting an infrastructure as a service model at the moment. And uh, we're also in the process of migrating applications. Uh, we designed a cloud strategy and an implementation plan in terms of releases using an agile methodology. We are actually going to start a release three actually today. Uh, and, and we have two week sprints uh, and each release is comprised of four sprints of two weeks each. So yes, we are in the migration process and we're just literally starting today. Excellent, excellent news. All right, let's move to Tim Burke from QTS. React a little bit to what you heard from uh, Ben and, and Sanjay a little bit and how that fits into what you're seeing across the federal market. Sure, um, 82 days? Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. That's really fast. Um, so our role as CSP or service provider here at QTS is that we provide a broad range of services that help meet your mission needs, right? Part of that's us understanding what your goals are, what your drivers are. Is it an event? Is it a mandate? Is it a, a lack of skills for whatever reason in any particular department within the organization? Um, and that we design everything from uh, the data center level to cloud services to managed services that help meet those needs. And we know, we understand, and you heard about the different types of uh, applications that are being moved or being considered being moved. As we work with you guys as a partner, a, a trusted technology and compliance partner, to match and meet those needs of the application. We, if we don't help you meet the mission, then collectively we're not successful. And, and we've built things in a way, right, and you want organizations that build things in a way that can support that, not just a, a person or a group, but a team of folks to help support you. It would be an extension of the organization. So in, in many ways, what you kind of heard from, from Ben and, and Sanjay is this idea of hybrid IT environment, this, this idea that we're sometimes it's federal, sometimes it's, it's commercial. Are you seeing that? Is that the trend that you're seeing among your federal clients? Absolutely. And we're seeing a cross of both where we see have commercial entities that provide both services to commercial and federal agencies. So a, a typical use, right, in some of these traditional uses where we have a customer doing HR or DR and a hybrid deployment either between their premise and a QTS premise, and likewise between multiple QTS data centers. Right, so they're executing those plans and we are, as that enabler, help them get there. Ben, you heard uh, Sanjay talk a little bit about workloads. It's a decision of okay, what goes to the cloud, what doesn't. You guys are in the middle of that kind of discussion now too. Can you talk a little bit about how you decide on, on the specific workloads? You think, okay, that is cloud ready or that can be cloud ready or no, I think we need to keep this maybe even internal? The thing that US Trade is doing is moving everything to shared services. So it's a matter of timing and sequencing. So everything that we can, we're moving because we're finding out that we have a, a set budget and a set amount of contracts as well as agreements with other federal agencies and our mission just keeps going up and up and up. So what we're doing is saying, okay, what is the sequencing for and the impact on the workload? So we, we're upgrading our data analytics for what areas we should be going into for our reverse trade missions and our pilot programs and our training of U.S. companies as well as other countries for U.S. exports. We're also upgrading our 
infrastructure and saying, okay, if this is five or 10 years old, should we even be upgrading it? Why don't we just move this entire service to the cloud? And so we're looking at mission services as opposed to equipment, and it's turning out that everything is going <laughs> except for the PC. We haven't figured out how to have a cloud-based PC. Everyone still wants their computer and printing, but we're moving a lot more to electronic workflows and that can also be done in the cloud. So we're going to have an environment that does both and it's the sequencing of we, we're having an aging infrastructure and so our, our air conditioning went right. this past summer and we actually had a pilot program for the personal drives and that moved to the top of the list because they said, well, what if my personal drive isn't available? I said, well, we have it synchronized on your laptop, on your smartphone, and in the cloud, and if you lose connectivity, it doesn't matter whether or not the air conditioning is working or not. You have copies of it everywhere, and it synchronizes automatically in the background. Our users ended up doing that and saying, this is great, and then they started telling each other, and then, people saying, well, I want my entire team and the other teams, why haven't they gotten on board yet? Because I want to be able to share documents with them and it was very synergetic. We're going to take a quick break, but maybe there's something to follow up with you on around uh, the desktop. I, uh, the the follow-up question that came to mind is, what, thin clients, zero clients? They still can't be comfortable with that? But we're going to take a break and then we'll come back and, and talk maybe a little bit about that. You're listening to the panel discussion, Hybrid IT and Government, sponsored by QTS on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Complex government mandates, budget uncertainties, rapidly evolving IT. Keeping agency missions on pace has never been more challenging. QTS can help. Our hybrid cloud solutions are purpose-built for the federal landscape. FISMA and FedRAMP compliant. JAB approved. Over 60 active ATOs. Learn more about our hybrid government cloud solutions at qtsdatacenters.com federal. QTS, it's where IT is going. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Hybrid IT and Government, sponsored by QTS on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sanjay Gupta, the Chief Technology Officer at the Small Business Administration, Ben Bergenson, the Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, and Tim Burke, a Federal Cloud Product Manager for QTS. Now, before break, we're talking a little bit about what the cloud looks like at your, each of your agencies. And, and I want to start with Sanjay, because you brought up something that just is one of my favorite topics, the Continuous, Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation CDM program. You talked about you're one of the first, if not the first agency to do CDM in the cloud. Talk about how this relates back to your cloud efforts, because CDM is such an important initiative for all of the government. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that, thanks for that question, Jason. <clears throat> so CDM is definitely a very important component and uh, much needed component, especially in the cloud. Uh, let me kind of just sort of back up for a minute and just talk about why the cloud environment, well, it gives us agility and flexibility. That's the power of the cloud amongst others, but the also what comes with that is the responsibility of the fast-changing environment in the cloud environment, which is compared to the on-prem environment, is a, is, is a paradigm change. So let me just give you a four instance and then hopefully that'll illustrate the point here. So, so if you are in an on-premise environment and you're talking about change control, you probably have change control boards and they do like meet twice a week or three, three times a week and they make those changes and they approve those changes. But when you're in a cloud environment, you're making changes several times a day. And this whole process and the notion of having a, uh, a change control board that meets and, and approves those changes and reviews those changes just sort of is a different paradigm here. So let me kind of hit upon the security aspects and the CDM aspects. So what I'm trying to make a point here is the fact that in the cloud, you have the ability to move fast and you have to be able to leverage that. Otherwise, you're sort of missing one of the key components of the cloud. At the same time, you have to ensure you have a good secure environment and is continues to be secure with all the changes that you are imparting in the cloud environment. So, so from, from our perspective at SBA, when we talked about the CDM implementation, what we did is we looked at what the DHS requirement for CDM phase one are. And we looked at the fact that they are more specifically inclined on the outcomes that those CDM tools produce. And we said, it should not really matter if we implement those tools in the cloud or on-prem. And the fact that we have a cloud-first strategy and we are trying to stay true to our cloud-first strategy, we implemented the tools in the, cl in the cloud instance we have. 
So yes, there's a slight difference the way you would implement it on-premise, but from a, from a standpoint of the outcomes and the results it's producing, it's pretty much similar to what it would have done in an on-prem environment. Further, uh, when we talk about implementing in the cloud, we have the ability to use other cloud-native tools in addition to the CDM tools in conjunction to produce a more comprehensive view of what is going on at a given point in time. We are looking at tools which give us a real-time view into our dashboard on a cloud in terms of security, in terms of vulnerabilities, in terms of risks. That's something which is very valuable to us, and naturally that's where I was talking about the continuous aspect of being in the cloud. It's interesting that you said as we move to cloud first, okay, how do we take what DHS is asking us to do and do it there? Right. What was the reaction? Was DHS open to that, or was there a little bit of convincing? I think there was a little bit of convincing. Um, uh, certainly our deputy, Guy uh, Cavallo, and Maria Root, our CIO, have seen that space. Maria was part of the FedRAM program. Right. She understands that inside out, and, and Guy Cavallo was at the TSA. He's worked on those angles uh, pretty, pretty uh, in, in detail. So they were able to have that dialogue and have that discussion to say, we are driven from outcomes, and if we can produce the same outcome regardless of where the, the CDM tools are implemented, we should be able to comply with the CDM requirements. So that's how we were able to overcome it. But it did require some discussion and convincing. One of the things, whether we're talking CDM here or whether we're just talking security more broadly, one of the things that Sanjay brought up was this idea of this comprehensive view, understanding your, your risks, your vulnerabilities, your, this, the, the current posture of security. Uh, Tim, is that maybe the, the, the one kind of understated value of cloud in some ways is that, hey, it's not just you can be agile and flexible and all those great things, but, but you really have a different view than you would on-prem in, in some regards. Certainly, and I also think one of the things that's over, often overlooked is you just get there and you get your ATO, but you've really just started. Yes. All right, you really started the, the hard work of getting it, it's real. But keeping it running in a, in a secure and compliant fashion is really where a lot of the hard and sometimes not glorious work is there. All right, so one of the things that, that we talk about and what we see clients asking us for is the level of maturity. Right, and higher performing. Do you really have an organization from a compliance and security perspective that can help operate my application, my system that helps me meet that, that mission goal? So, you know, a while ago, a lot of, I would say a few years ago, as folks were talking about FedRAMP and what have you and meeting FISMA requirements, you know, there was this phase of confusion really. What is this thing? I don't even know, but I know I need it. An example would be federal system integrators that said, I, I want to deal, but I'm not sure what I need to do. Right, and then we moved into a phase into comprehension. People understand this is a requirement. I need to do this. You guys understand I need to do it, but there's other folks maybe in the in the in the world that haven't gotten to that point. And then there's the level of compliance to really get to get your authority to operate, and then also to to keep moving. So the things I would ask, I would suggest that folks ask their provider. Right, simple things like you mentioned before. You need to have a process, document documentation, a procedure, and an audit trail. It's almost as simple as that for things that you manage. And you need to check sure, make sure that your provider has all of those things. And just ask simple questions. Do you have a continuous, a continuous monitoring program? Right? How do you operate? Tell me about it. Tell me about your change management. Tell me about your, uh, your continuity and disaster recovery plan for my application. If a provider can't tell you about that, and it ends up, like I mentioned before, being the person or a small team, then maybe something that you take a pause on, right? And the way we've designed things, we have a large team, of course, that provides those things. The other is meeting something called separation of duties, right? This is another thing to check to make sure you've built a fully robust team to support um, the agency mission. You know, things like having a separate um, chief audit executive, chief information system officer, uh, and a CTO and have a, a proper functionality between detection, remediation, and validation. So this whole workflow and this whole team that can be there to support, you, folks really need to, when you're talking about uh, going to a CSP, that you're fully validating those things. That, it's one thing to say you can do it or just trust me. It's another thing that you should be also be able to prove that you do those things. And things are way more prescriptive now, right, with FedRAMP. I mean, years ago it was get your ATO, maybe I'll come back three years later. Well, what happened in between? The risk was still there. Was the mitigation there, or was there a breach or a leak beforehand? So now we, as we collectively have much more prescriptive requirements for performing continuous monitoring, reporting our results, whether it be to the agency or to a program management office, and, and on an annual basis. So the world has changed, the structure has changed, and you've got to have the right kind of organization to support the mission goal. Uh, ben, I want to turn to you about the auditing trail, but, but before that, Tim, real, just real quick, the continuous monitoring piece. Is that something that every cloud provider, and I know you can't speak for every one of them, but is, is doing, or is it still, they're not quite there in terms of the understanding of that the government expects this continuous monitoring, or, or 
worse, it's just labeled continuous monitoring, but maybe it's really not continuous, you know, generally speaking. I mean, give, uh, give me a sense yeah. of what the industry looks like. Yeah, I don't think I'll do it. I think a lot say trust. So you okay. can look at FedRAMP per se and say in the marketplace, how many have been authorized? Well, there's 86 that have been authorized in continuous monitoring. They're vetted every month. Every month we meet with the PMO on a biweekly basis and report, you know, our, our remediation list and whether we're on time or not. And and other, I don't, you know, if you don't do those things, you can have your uh, authorization revoked. And it, and it has happened. <laughs> Not with us, but it has happened to other providers. So, you know, that's news. I didn't hear about that. Um, but one of the other things is, uh, as you said, the monthly. I know FedRAMP has talked about even turning that up to real time or as near, near real time as possible mm -hmm. for that monitoring. So maybe mm -hmm. something that, that to look up for. Uh, ben, I want to turn to you real quick because uh, as you guys are moving to the cloud and you have that hybrid environment, how are you addressing the expectations as, as Tim talked about the continuous monitoring expectations, but also are, are your providers doing what they say they're doing? I'm drawing on my experience when I was the information security officer for max.gov shared services and cloud and it was a cloud provider. It was also a cloud partner because we would have other cloud organizations, commercial and federal, provide services jointly with us. And you would find out that things were done differently in different organizations and different cloud providers. So what, I, what I'm drawing on at USTA is we would be looking for outcomes not prescribing, okay, we're going to use this particular technology, this particular audit tool, and this particular dashboard, but what we're looking for is an information system security, continuous monitoring, ISCM and CDM, and here's what we want. We want a dashboard at the agency level, we want it at DHS level, we want it across our local environment as well as our shared services, as well as our commercial providers, and it helps a lot because when I was sitting on the Tiger team for the FedRAMP High baseline and we were developing the new standard for FedRAMP High, it was, well, that doesn't work because I know the tools we have and that requirement is too specific. Let's look at what the outcome is. And that's what agencies should be looking at is, I want to understand the risks and the environment that I am at and be able to make decisions and then work with my provider to move the bar on those risks. But the exact details can be left up to the providers. And, and for the most part, do providers understand that? Because there, there is this shift that's been happening and we see that with, we can talk about iterative development or agile or DevOps or whatever you want to call it, that, that well, just tell me what you want. I'll, I'll build what you want. And no, no, we want this outcome. No, just, but what do you want? Like, do you have that conversation still? Or, or, or is, as Tim was saying, a lot of people are, or this is kind of moved that people get it. There's a change in understanding that it's a partnership of continuous risk assessment right. in everything that you do and say, okay, th there's a new version of the platform for your website or your web portal coming out. How does that change things? And that's a conversation that you have with your customer as opposed to once every year, once every three years, or it's done at the cloud provider level. It's more of a conversation of, okay, let's sit down and tell me what the impacts are and I'm willing to accept this level of risk for this period of time. So it's more temporal. Say, okay, and that's where you get into DevOps and security into DevOps. Say, okay, we're gonna move, so we're thinking of moving our website from one environment to another environment. And I said, okay, what's the period of time of risk that we're gonna be down with our website? And I said, well, the technology will take this many hours to transition. I said, and what happens if it doesn't work? They said, well, we turn the VM off there and we turn it back on here and it's instantly back. I said, so there's, if we're going too far in time and I've hit my threshold of risk, we can just revert like that. And those conversations are very liberating for the agencies. Uh, ben brought up the R word, risk. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's a huge piece of the cybersecurity discussion and something that the Office of Management and Budget, the White House, is really putting a lot of focus on. Uh, let me start with Tim real quick. Uh, from a risk perspective, how are you hearing agencies talk about risk and how, how do you respond? So a couple of different ways. So we hear in some of the other topics we talked, had mentioned before coming into the meeting where 
you know, service level agreements and how you manage those service level agreements um, and, and how you partner and making sure you're meeting requirements. So we do see um, requests for help take on and help manage part of my risk and it comes in many ways, just simple performance. And part of how we make sure we meet those, and we talk about some of Ben's previous comments, right? We, we, we match those requirements to the solution. We put together components, right? So Ben and team probably had different components for that failover, failover solution versus the you know, ongoing production application. So one is for us is managing those components in a compliant fashion, is making sure we got the technology pieces together and operating them in a compliant fashion that helps minimize the risk of downtime, whether it be making sure that we follow our change advisory board and continuous monitoring and change management process to make sure we detect things. It can be as a programmatic vulnerability that folks know about or how quickly you react to a zero day. All right, what did you do with any of the rans recent ransomware pet you and want to cry? And even back, you know, a couple of years ago with Heartbleed and Bash, I mean, you, you need, and all these things impact the availability. So if I get an outcome request to SLA, right, we're piecing these things together in a, a formulatic fashion to meet the goal and minimize the risk, which helps us together minimize that risk for availability. Um, and you know there have been requests for, hey, how much of a financial share can you make? Can you take on of that? <laughs> right? You talk about healthcare, right? Yeah, right? And and there are requirements that we sign take on some of that responsibility. And those are a discussion. You know there there is no straight answer. It is you talk with both legal teams, and you and you talk about what particular the requirements are and which the organizations are willing to take on. So. A covered entity with a, a trusted provider. We, we make sure we work together on that. Now, Sanjay, uh, Tim brought up the service level agreements item. That's been one of the toughest pieces of moving to the cloud for agencies. And now, as this hybrid IT environment emerges, that becomes even more complex. How are you guys addressing this SLA issue? Right, and I think I'd just like to also make a quick point about uh, um, what we are doing from a CDM implementation and other aspects is the fact that we're using the DISA sticks for all of our Windows Server, SQL Server. Uh, baselines and that a relatively high bar, if you will, in terms of the baseline configurations, right? Uh, which helps us manage risk probably on a little higher end, if you will, compared to what was being done previously. In terms of the service levels, yes, it's a very different paradigm in the cloud. Uh, and, and like I was talking about earlier, one of the things about, we talked about DevOps, I know Ben mentioned that, and, I, and you, you mentioned about the DevSecOps as well. I think one of the things that we are seeing that's uh, really integral to our success on the cloud is the fact that we have to change the way traditionally we had worked. For example, the NOC, the Network Operations Center, or the Security Operations Center, they were two different teams. They're no longer two different teams in the, in the cloud. They are, have to be the same integral team which manages both the network side of it as well as the security aspects of it. Uh, and that's, if you would think about is, is a change in terms of the people, the way they have done work, the processes, as well as the tool set we're looking at, right? Um, in terms of service levels, I'll just give you another illustration of the fact that how service level change in the cloud world. For example, you know, in, in the on-prem world, if a server had problem, it had some issues, you took some time to repair it. In the cloud world, there's really no need to do the repair. What you do is spin up a new server, and off you're up and running, and you have your data imports uh, in, in a matter of minutes. So it just the paradigm has totally changed in the cloud when you're talking about service levels here. Uh, there's no longer a service level of mean time to repair. Probably the mean time to repair in this case will be how fast can you spin up the next VM. And now <laughs> it's measured in minutes, not in hours, not in days, not in weeks, certainly not any other thing uh, beyond that. So that's a paradigm change and people are having a little tough time sort of adopting that mind shift change. And I think part of that is because they're so used to it, so what you said, you will give me you know, 99.9999, exactly. and if something breaks, you'll fix it quickly. Exactly. And so, uh, great point, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, jump into some more uh, discussion. You're listening to the panel discussion, Hybrid IT and Government, sponsored by QTS, on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. Complex government mandates, budget uncertainties, rapidly evolving IT. Keeping agency missions on pace has never been more challenging. QTS can help. Our hybrid cloud solutions are purpose-built for the federal landscape. FISMA and FedRAMP compliant. JAB approved. Over 60 active ATOs. Learn more about our hybrid government cloud solutions at qtsdatacenters.com federal. QTS, it's where IT is going. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Hybrid IT and the Government, sponsored by QTS on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sanjay Gupta, 
the Chief Technology Officer for the Small Business Administration, Benjamin Bergenson, the Chief Information Officer for the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, and Tim Burke, a Federal Cloud Product Manager for QTS. As we just finished up talking about security and the importance of SLAs, and we talked about what goes into good security, but the risk management and the SLAs. The other piece to this discussion I think we should touch upon is the decision about what type of cloud to move to, not hybrid, public, private, commercial, etc. but what, when does infrastructure make sense? When does platform make sense? When does software make sense? I think software is probably the easiest one to know, but Ben, give me a sense, how are you guys decide where to move your workloads in terms of infrastructure, platform, software as a service? The key is going back to your mission and finding out what are specific needs for your organization. So for example, for email, for the mission requirements, it's live communication via smartphones and tablets and computers, and it's very service oriented. So that's a decision that you say, okay, we do software as a service or service as a service. The next platform is you see, okay, we have very agency unique application for data analytics and determining where we should do our next pilot program training or reverse trade mission for exports of US goods. That is a unique program, so it, it isn't available as software as a service, and we have it for our use only, so that that goes down to the next level of platform as a service. And there's more risk involved and there's more development on our side because we have to develop the databases, create the applications. We have the underlying operating system and infrastructure, but we're, we have a shared risk. The next level is infrastructure as a service and it depends on what your requirements are and what your scope and scale is. So if you have a large scale and a large scope, you might be wanting to look all the way down at the hardware and it depends on the mission service that you're trying to provide. We just had last year issues with air conditioning and heating and I quickly resolved that because it you, you have to, <laughs> and you end up learning a whole bunch of things, and I now know more than I ever did than about hot air exhaust. So it's not just about getting cold air in, because that's easy, or getting air movement, but then you have to get hot air out. And what happens if the building turns off their systems at a certain time, but your dedicated system keeps running? And you may want to be working in that space. This is something that we're going to be moving out of and going to platform as a service and service as a service. It's different for every scope and scale. If you're a cloud provider or you're a larger organization, you may want to be in there. It's amazing when you become a, an expert on HVAC, when, when you have to become that expert. Uh, uh, in, interesting piece about the kind of, as you broke it down by the difference of whether it's software, or platform, or infrastructure. Do you lean one way? Do you do mostly infrastructure? Or do you do mostly platform? Or I know you said it depends on the workload or what you're trying to get done, but where do you see USTDA doing, you know, kind of leaning? Most of our stuff is going to go to shared services and service as a service. So software as a service. And software yeah. as a service, where everything is through a web portal. We will be doing our data analytics on a platform as a service, because that's a custom legacy application that needs things that we have an on-site developer that can work on. And almost no infrastructure as a service. Okay, because you can move that data analytics to the cloud, but yes. you still need, there's certain pieces you still need to touch per se, versus yes. a software title is, is different. Uh, Sanjay, talk about SBA, what, what, are, what is your vision of where you guys are heading? I mean, are you, obviously you'll have a little bit of everything, but where do you see most of your efforts going, or how do you make those decisions? Yeah, good question, Jason, and I think just to add to what Ben was saying, if I kind of draw the continuum of on-prem to infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and software as a service, on the on-prem environment, the customer or consumers, the agency is responsible for managing everything, managing support everything. On the far end of the spectrum is the software as a service where there's nothing that the consumer of the service has to manage. It's all provided by the service provider. So, so that's sort of the continuum, and the way we are uh, targeting at SBA is right now we're moving to largely infrastructure as a service model. Uh, and as we continue to mature, we'll move to platform as a service and software as a service. Having said that, 
We're also looking for spot opportunities. Let me give you a case in point here. So for instance, as we're migrating some of our applications, each application has a database. And we're saying, rather than standing up multiple database servers, we have an option of using platform as a service offering for database services. So what we'll be using is consuming database services as platform as a service as opposed to standing up our own databases as an example, right? Uh, so, so we're looking at opportunities to look for where we can utilize platform as a service. And then obviously our, our long-term vision, long-term being over the next three to five years, is ideally to be largely in the software as a service category. We recognize that we'll never be 100% there. So we will continue to have some infrastructure as a service, some platform as a service, and some uh, in, uh, software as a service. But that's where we want to intend to, is become heavily on the right side of the spectrum. Do you foresee just never having a data center at all? Absolutely. Uh, our data center at uh, SBA, come end of December or early next year, there will, no, no, will be nothing called a data center anymore that we have today. It'll be just a server closet with maybe three or four racks left in there. And, and, and that's a big change from, as you said, oh, the, the, the one you had where it was just yeah, yeah, filled yeah. with. When Maria came in, you know, it was like uh, all kind of environmental problems and all kinds of uh, uh, stability problems. So yes, we will just uh, you know, be out of there. So again, reiterating our, our cloud-first strategy is we are committed to it, and so we will not be adding more investments into our data center. Tim, again, react to what you've heard from Ben and Sanjay in the sense of, are other agencies following a similar path, maybe starting with IAS and then moving towards platform and software? It also, so yes, and it, yes. Also <laughs> it also depends on if it's an agency customer for QTS or a system integrator customer of QTS. So we'll start with the agency first, and much of the conversation is the same depending on no matter which customer it is. It's really a roles and responsibility discussion. I mean, if we don't collectively have a roles and responsibility discussion on who manages what, um, it's going to be a really fuzzy picture in the accountability and the success is going to have a, a less likelihood of, of achieving the outcome. So we actually, some of our, even agency customers come in and say, well, which one should I use? And the typical question is, what do you want to manage? What do you want to monitor? What do you want to patch? What do you want to remediate on? Now, we play mostly in the infrastructure as a service layer, right, as a hosting provider. But many of our customers, right, are software as a service providers, whether it be endpoint management, storage, conferencing services, and a myriad of other things, including test dev. So those software as a service providers, they've already made the decision they're going to pursue providing services to agencies. And then they're also making that same decision on a roles and responsibility perspective and discussing with us. So they, they can go ahead and provide a, a specific compliant and secure level of service. So we always hear about the, hug, the server huggers, right? The people who don't want to let go of that server, the blinking light. Are you finding that when you have that discussion with roles and responsibilities, again, we're going to put a blanket statement over this. Generally, agencies start with, no, no, I have to see the lights, and they end with, well, just just make it work. I mean, do you, do you see that happening more and more? There are other shades of, of other shades in between. So there's a, I, I kind of have my server, and I'm never, I'm never letting anybody else touch it. Some of them say, okay, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and start getting into a commercial services provider data center, and I'm going to choose a product co-location. I leverage my CapEx investment. I leverage some of the services from the service provider. I can still touch my gear. So it's kind of, I can hug it, but maybe from afar. And then you've got other folks that are choosing, you know, amongst our cloud portfolio of how much they still want to manage, right? How much do I want to take on of continuous monitoring and kind of flexibility that I have there? Or do I fully want to outsource that part to the service provider? So there's this in-between. I don't want to touch it, or I always want to touch it. And then and it goes back to each workload, particularly who, you know, within your organization, you probably have the same, you definitely have the same discussions. Which group do I want to save time and money for? And it may, that may differ based on application, whether it's the compliance team or the ops team. And you know, I just want to keep my staff engaged and doing the cool things. But who wants to be up at you know, three, between 3 and 6 in the morning on Saturday morning uh, doing patching? Right? We're worried about a server that went down that may not be needed until right. Monday, but you can't wait till Monday to exactly. address it either. Right. Uh, ben, uh, Tim brings up an interesting uh, concept here when you talk about roles and responsibilities. One of the things is part of that is the, the customer side, and you guys have moved to shared services. You guys are, are moving to the cloud. You mentioned Office uh, 365. How, how do you deal with the customer side of this equation? You may say from a CIO's perspective, uh, software as a service makes the most sense, but what if the customer is is not so happy about it or doesn't quite understand what that means? Talk a little bit about customer satisfaction. That's you know non-IT, the the mission side. So a big part of the move to shared services and cloud services is the the training and the outreach and the collaboration with your customer base, and 
I mean, the move to the cloud, if you've done it before, you've moved from one data center to another, or you've moved to co-locations, that's the technical piece. That, that will happen, and it'll be a success. What you want to spend a lot of your time on is asking your customers what they want and listening to them and letting them make the decisions. That's a, a big difference instead of saying, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do platform as a service or we're going to do software as a service. Say, okay, tell me what you're trying to get to and be able to work the conversation to find out what it is they actually are looking for as outcomes as opposed to, well, I want this technology or that technology. Say, okay, I'm looking for the ability to always have access to my files and by the way, I'm traveling to three different countries and there are three different telco providers depending on what country we're in and how do we make that secure and elastic. I might need four or five more smartphones or tablets when we get there and then I want them to go away when I leave. Say, okay, that now I'm understanding what it is you're looking for. So if you start with what the customer wants and what the, the mission operator is looking for, that's how we ended up getting moved our personal drives because everyone loved it, it was always available. That's how we are moving our video teleconferencing to the cloud is without spending any additional money, we found it in an existing contract, bundled in, and said, well, we're already paying for it, so let's start to use it. But you don't just turn it on because the customers aren't aware of it. You, you say, okay, what are your pain points? What are you looking to do? I said, well, I want to lower my phone bill. So we can do that with cloud-based video teleconferencing. I also want to be able to talk to people in three or four different time zones, and I want it to be simple and easy and not have to worry about any configuration settings. I said, okay, that then makes it a very successful rollout. Sanjay, interesting what Ben brings up is the outcome. You brought that up several times. SBA's got to have a very similar, but you have a whole different set of customers. Yours are, 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 are much different than what Ben's dealing with. Talk about how you guys are measuring outcomes. Yeah, so for us, the cloud migration is supposed to have zero impact on the customer. It needs to be transparent. So what's the simple manifestation of a cloud migration is, we migrated to the cloud, the customer has no idea that we are now running in the cloud because all of the applications and the services and the outcomes that were being delivered are being delivered in a transparent fashion. So for us, that's the simplest measure of customer satisfaction that we move to the cloud and the customer has not seen any difference in whatsoever that they've been using the services. Uh, so that's what we're aspiring to at SPA and that would be our measure of uh, how well we performed in our uh, cloud migration here. Um, so that's something that we're looking at. We definitely believe that for SPA's OCIO, uh, patching, running, maintaining servers is not adding to the mission's value add. Uh, we believe that this is something we can better defer to a cloud service provider like a QTS or whoever else that we are working with and let them handle that because that's their core competency. It's no longer our core competency. Our core competency is helping our program officers deliver to the mission and the values of our agency. So that's where we're looking at from a long-term perspective. Tim, talk a little bit about the customer service piece because that's a, you have a different set of customers. You have both the federal agencies, but as you mentioned, systems integrators too. Sure, so, and, and to that point, while our customers go that, through that whole spectrum, the folks that we work with directly are the operations teams um, from the agencies. And customer satisfaction can be measured in different ways. I mean, you can get a call from your account team and see what's going on, or there can be some visibility into an issue that came up. Um, but at QTS, we do things a little bit differently. And the question you need to ask when evaluating a, a provider is, who knows what your satisfaction is, and how do they know? So we work off something called a net promoter score. Not sure if folks are familiar with that, but it's an, it's an average or a measurement of satisfaction. And every Monday, the entire company, every single employee, gets a report on the net promoter score for transactions for the previous week. So the progression is, if you open up a service desk ticket with us, you have the opportunity to take a, basically a two-question survey. Are you satisfied with the interaction? And are you willing to promote QTS to somebody else? And we get the unfiltered feedback. 
And there's also an action item following each thing that doesn't hit a score that we prefer. So there's the, the visibility. How are we doing? We, everybody knows every week how we're doing, and on average. And the accountability for following up and making sure our customers are satisfied is there and has complete visibility across. So that, how do you know? Well, we take an extra step and make sure we measure and have that visibility. We talked about SLAs a little bit earlier in the mm -hmm. discussion. Does that does customer satisfaction get folded into SLAs? Are you seeing that more and more? Absolutely. And then give me a sense of how that works. Because it just can't be I'm satisfied or I'm not satisfied, and it yeah. can't. And, and any kind of a subjective scoring, you know, must get a ten out of ten. So, yeah. Or, so the typical manifestation of that is the scoring is the average satisfaction rating over the month or over the quarter or, and over the year of an interaction. So for example, um, some of the measurements are, you know, if 10 is the best and eight is the, is the next tier down, that 85 or 90% are an eight or some measure like that. So we have a, a quantitative measure, right, of the experience and the perception of the experience. And there are and, and can be and, and are in some cases financial penalties for that. So we're motivated in many ways, <laughs> not just internally and, 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 and contractually, yeah. but you know, if we don't do, if we don't keep our folks satisfied, you're just not going to be a customer for very long. And, and I think uh, the internal piece is also important. Get, people know that people are happy or not happy. It also gets a little motivation too. And the finance or financial penalties also are, uh, are key. Uh, gentlemen, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, that we are out of time for today. So I'd like to thank you for your time. Uh, you've been listening to the panel discussion, Hybrid IT and Government, sponsored by QTS on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. I'd like to thank my guests today, Sanjay Gupta, the Chief Technology Officer for the Small Business Administration, Ben Bergerson, the Chief Information Officer for the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, and Tim Burke, a Federal Cloud Product Manager for QTS. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search QTS. Thank you for listening to the Hybrid IT and Government Panel Discussion, sponsored by QTS on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search QTS.